Hi, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds. Perhaps one of the most enjoyable aspects of being an experience designer, or I guess a designer of any kind, is the opportunity that we have to make unexpected connections in order to deliver new experiences and new designs. Often this starts in our own backgrounds of study. Because there are so few programs targeted in experience design, the majority of designers combine their educational background in different ways, working with whatever they got, practicing a strange type of professional alchemy that ultimately results in creativity and innovation born out into designs that they create. And if you talk to an experienced designer, which ironically enough, we do a lot here at Experience by Design, you often get the same kind of response when you ask them, how did you get into this profession? They'll say something like, I don't know how I got here, but I'm sure glad that I did. One of the best things about doing a podcast, such as Experience by Design, is the opportunity to explore those diverse backgrounds and journeys, tracing the often circuitous routes that many of us take to get where we are as experienced designers. And ultimately, while it will be a good thing, at some point to have experience design programs that train students in experienced design, so they become experienced design professionals, having some kind of legitimated, uh, certified curriculum, it will at the same time, I think at least, be unfortunate if we lose that spirit of creativity, of circuitous routes that comes from having these diverse journeys. Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the pluses, I think, with doing this kind of podcast is that we will continue to ask people about their strange circuitous journeys um, and, and always find the, uh, the strange, uh, left and right turns that we tend to take in life. But maybe that's also one of the, the superpowers of ethnography too. I think so. Um, so today on the podcast, we are really excited to have consultant and experienced designer, Jackie Badzen join us. Uh, and what's cool about Jackie's story that we get to explore today is that she brings with herself a range of personal and professional experiences that are combined that she uses to combine to make memorable experiences. So we're going to dive into her affinity for backgammon. Bet you didn't see that coming. Never did. Her training as a dancer. <laughs> yeah, one of us did. Um, you know, her training as a dancer, her knowledge of gymnastics, uh, her working with some of the biggest brands around, and what it's like to run your own experience design company. We're also going to dive into how constraints are the possibility for creativity. And when you don't have the budget, you got to learn to work and see with what you do have. When you don't have a lot of space, you got to see how to best use the little space that you do have. When you don't have the staff, you got to focus on the skills of people that you do have. And her role is about bringing all these parts together in unique ways to be the conductor of the epic sounding experience orchestra. You know, Jackie also thinks she has some idea. This is a very important point of how to make academic conferences less boring, something that mm. I know that we're both really on board with. So boring. And, uh, this could perhaps be the greatest achievement of all. I hope she can pull it off. So indeed. Right. So we're super excited to get this over to y'all. So let's dive on into the conversation with Jackie Badson. Um, your 17-year-old daughter asked you if you want to go see Arcade Fire. 
you're like, yeah, um, sure. I, totally. <laughs> I know. It's like, well, what, 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 when did you start liking me again? Cause I don't remember I was talking for like maybe six or seven years. Yes. Like, what do you need? What do you want? You know, and does it involve I think bail? it's interesting. There's I know, does it involve bail, money, or a phone? And neither, right. none of those things. But you want to go see a concert with me, and not only just a concert, you want to see Arcade Fire, and, which I feel like Gen Z, I don't know, I barely know any any Gen Zers. If I said Arcade Fire, they'd be like, where's the fire? What? The arcade's on fire? They have I no know. idea. Well, we you know, the funny thing is we saw Arcade Fire before together and they just happened to be back in concert. So I was like, oh, I don't know. They're great. They're great. <laughs> I know. They're great live too. I know. So I'm going to see them. I've not seen anybody twice, even mm-hmm. bands that I'm really a big fan of. I'm going to see Arcade Fire twice. twice. I don't know if that makes me like a high level Arcade Fire fan. <laughs> Or just, you know, pretender or like yeah. where that puts me in the pantheon of Arcade Fire fan club. <laughs> I have no Sorry, idea. The pantheon of the Arcade Fire fan club. I mean, Is there a pantheon? It seems yeah. like there should be. There should be. There, there should be. be, right? There, and if they, not, they, I feel like, I think we just started something. I think so. But <laughs> it actually does. I did want to ask you about, you know, what does it take to become a backgammon aficionado? Because oh. I saw that <laughs> on your website. I was like, well, that's... That's a thing that everyone, it's like growing up, everyone had a backgammon set or their grandparents uh-huh. had a backgammon set. And maybe once in a while you played backgammon, but you always had to look up the rules because you can remember it from the last time you played backgammon. Yes. And then at like maybe three quarters of the way through, you're like, why are we still playing backgammon? So like, how does it happen that you become a backgammon aficionado? Aficionado? Is this a, self, is this a self-applied term or is this was bestowed on you? Was there a meeting involved? Votes? <laughs> What happens? A certificate is issued. God, I wish I had a certificate. That's that's what makes me an aficionado. I think, I mean, I, I I love playing and I used to play every Tuesday with a friend of mine. We would literally get together and play back in it for hours. And like, granted, we would make cocktails and talk about like We were super in in, like super uh, intense and into it. Okay. And I got back into it. Yeah. Like, we everyone right Every, kids you your parents had a set your grandparents had a set and you're like what is this crazy game they're like that and like the cribbage board or something right. but um i started playing again in my i think my early 20s with my my stepdad and we were up at our cabin and there's no tv there's no nothing and so we started playing it and i just loved it and then um I don't know. I feel like how people get super into chess. I got super into backgammon. Now, like I would go to clubs like backgammon, like there'd be like backgammon night at different like bars and whatnot. And I went and quickly realized that I'm above average good, but they like, there are people there that just, I mean, they crushed me, but I used to go play in union square and it was, it was a lot of fun because I'd walk up and they'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to take your money. And then I would win. I loved it. So there's backgammon hustlers. There's backgammon hustlers. So in Union Square in New York, there's like you know, they'll have like a bunch of chess tables, like guys at folding tables and folding chairs by the subway playing chess. And then every once in a while, you get a couple guys playing backgammon. So I, I used to go. That would be like my favorite thing if I was actually ever early for something. I'd be like, yeah, let's play. I don't think I've ever heard the words uttered together. I'm getting back into backgammon. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. But it is it is one of those cabin games like cribbage. I mean, I used to play yeah. cribbage. I have cribbage boards. Do you, you know, see? Yeah. If you're a cribbage, not, are you a cribbage 
aficionado. I would, I am not a cribbage aficionado, but you know, it's one of those games that if, you know, you're in Minnesota, I was, mm -hmm. you know, raised in Michigan. Yeah. It's one of those games when you go up North you yes. got the cabin, uh, yes. and you got the cabin games and yes. there's no TV and it's either playing Euchre or cribbage <laughs> or backgammon. Yes. There's like, th that's part of the experience, right? Is yeah. You know, those games that are especially suited for those environments. And then when you come mm. back, when you're doing them, you're like, Oh, I should do this all the time. Then yeah. you come back home and you're like, I'm not going to go do that. I got, I got a TV. I got other things to do. Exactly. But you know what? I can tell you what makes me a true, I don't know if it's aficionado or just nerd, but I am teaching, um, quite a few. I have, I have many nieces and nephews, so not all yet, but many of them, I'm teaching them how to play backgammon. So whenever I go visit them or when we get together, I'll, we'll play a few games. And it's fun as they're getting older, they're getting really good. And to also to watch how their brain works, like some of them, they, they just, they see it. You know, they're not counting the pieces. They see like you roll a six and you know, it's automatic diagonal. Like there it, it's, it's wild. So Again, like nerds. I'm like, give me a snack tray and a backgammon board any day. <laughs> well, that was kind of an interesting thing you just said there, which was they see it, right? And so yeah. what is it about seeing the board that's not just, okay, one, two, three, four, five, you know, and uh, versus yeah. just kind of seeing it, right? Yeah. I mean, and I, I actually start to think about your art background because mm -hmm. so much of art is just like seeing it, right? Seeing you, it. Yeah. See, be the ability to see it. And so is there a connection between like the backgammon aficionado nerd part of you <laughs> and the art um, student art nerd, probably part of you as well? Yeah. I, you know, I have actually never been asked that um, or had it been framed up that way. And I would imagine it would be, I mean, it's, it's interesting because my medium was dance and choreography or like, you know, in some interdisciplinary, but mainly performing arts. But I would walk into a room when I walk into a space, I would kind of start visualizing what, how a piece could come to life. And I think one of the things I love for backgammon is like, there's very, um, for people that maybe don't know, there's like the board is laid out with, uh, alternating colors usually and different like points. Um, and there's two different, each person has a, a colored, um, colored kind of like coins, we'll call right. them. Right. So, uh, it's very visual. And as you roll certain numbers and combinations and you learn them, you learn automatically kind of where the pieces can move on the board. Right. And it's this, it's to me, it's this kind of amazing thing. Like when you ha have a, a board that's set up and you roll and uh, roll the dice and it hits a number and you can, when I say, see it, right. you can automatically know where the pieces go. So right. I, I don't, I don't know if it's part of my art background. I think visualization is huge. Right. Tool, but also it's something I'm, I'm lucky. I have a big imagination and a big, I can visualize things easily. I don't know if the two of those are uh, correlated, but um, yeah, I, th I think some of it, some of it has to do with numbers and some of it has to do with kind of visual visualization and creativity, um, which is maybe why I like all of them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge numbers like savant, but I, I really like, numbers um and it's interesting watching as like kids learn like when people say like oh yeah they're good with numbers and you watch them play 
And then you get another kid that's super creative and you watch right. them play. Like it's, it's just a different, it taps into a couple different things that this game does. So yeah, I don't know if that was a, that was a long winded way of answering no. your question, but. Well, I think it's, you know, it, it, it provokes ideas in my, in my mind too, because I, I know some artists who are more visual artists in terms of mm-hmm. paint, sculpture, drawing, mm-hmm. et cetera. And to me as a non-artist, when I look at a blank canvas, I'm filled with anxiety over <laughs> what I put on it will demonstrate that I'm the fraud. I know I am and will <laughs> show everybody around me that I have no skill, talent, or ability. And I know artists who are very, very good who still feel the same way when they look mm-hmm. at a blank canvas. So when you're looking at, you know, you go to Union Square, you you know, there's, there is this moment of truth of, am I going to be able to be up to the task when you're looking yeah. at a backgammon board, just, you know, wherever, or you're looking at a, a space to dance in, yeah. to do choreography in, or putting on an event, event or create exactly. There's this canvas that's a blank mm-hmm. space that now it's up to your imagination and creativity to see it and bring it all yes. together. Exactly. Well said. Well, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. We're going to go play some backhand. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, to what extent, to what extent, how do you deal with that? I mean, because I know for people that it's a big, it's a big inhibitor that you're Mm -hmm. like, well, people who might be very talented uh, graphically or uh, in terms of dance or in terms of backgammon, but they don't, Mm -hmm. they have that, that fear that stops them from engaging in a broader public space with yes. others so that it's just, I just play it. I'm just going to play backgammon on my phone. I've been trying to get better at chess. I get petrified playing with other people. I like doing puzzles because yeah. I feel safer. There's less anxiety about, you know, underperforming, you know, I don't get oh, freaked out by doing it. Right. That's interesting. I, <laughs> I hate puzzles. <laughs> you hate puzzles. I hate puzzles. That's, oh. that's the interesting. So this is, but this is again, kind of an interesting thing, how different people, how, how their brains work or how people, you know, whatever, however are we function, right? Brain, body, mind, spirit. So all the things I see a puzzle and I'm like, wait a minute. I have to figure out how this gets put to like, there's an actual way this gets put together. And if you don't have the right piece in the right place, it doesn't fit. And I'm like, that's the opposite of how I work. Right. I like, I like to walk into essentially what's a blank canvas or a blank space or a blank experience, we'll call it right. and be able to cr- create the parameters and create the, the different kind of guard guardrails and say, all right, how, how is this going to come to life? What, what, what could we do? How might we bring this to life? Um, and that to me is exciting. Now, granted, if you gave me a blank, blank canvas and told me to paint something, I would probably go Jackson Pollock on you and just splatter paint. Like that's, right. that's what, right. by no means am I Jackson Pollock, but like, that's what I would do. Um, I see, I have, I am not a, um, in that sense of like painting and drawing. Right. <sighs> zero percent i'm fascinated by people who can do that Me too. but i'm curious with what about it a blank piece of paper to write something do you still have that kind of freeze or are you less inhibited i have gotten better as i have allowed my inner voice to come through more because mm-hmm. being an academic ish 
um, I was trained in how to write academically mm-hmm. and it just doesn't, didn't resonate with who I am. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How I feel or what's inside. And so actually forcing myself to write more blog content and a mm-hmm. little more narratively mm-hmm. has allowed me to find, I think, which I would, I, I feel is a better voice. Um, I almost, you know, sometimes I feel the same way about a PowerPoint slide deck and, you know, PowerPoint's yeah. very, you know, cliche, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, you got that first slide, but yeah. I can kind of see it, right? I can kind of see it, feel it, hear it, yeah. understand it. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but it means that the possibilities are endless, but my strategy for dealing with it is bounded, right? I yeah. mean, I could do anything I want with this, but I have a game plan going in that I kind of know what I want to get done and want to do. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that creative element mm-hmm. and creative spark where I don't feel that anxiety anymore, but I've also been doing this for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, I think also part of it is time on the tool. I imagine dance mm-hmm. is similar. Like I'm going to, you know, this concert tonight, I will probably be doing the swaying back and forth move. <laughs> no, because I don't know yes. what the proper dance moves are for an arcade fire concert. And maybe I should YouTube that or something. I don't know. I think there's a lot of like, kind of like bouncing and some shaking right. there's and shaking, so yeah. swaying, there's bouncing. <laughs> yeah, some maybe, shaking and swaying, maybe if some I'm hands in the real, air, clapping, real into it, I might go a good a fist, few fist pumps. I yes. don't know what the proper protocol is. I think a couple, like two fist bumps and a pointer finger in the air. It says arcade fire to me. Well, I can't <laughs> hold up my lighter anymore because no one has lighters and that's kind of, I know now they use their phones. That's so, feel the same. It, no, it's not. It's, it's not. not the same as all the lighters in there. No. Oh, that's so good. Wait, can I touch on something that you that you said before that I thought was interesting? Because I also experienced something very similar um, is learning how to uh, I had to unlearn how to write after yes. after grad school. Right. I was always like a kind of a big creative writer. And then when I got to grad school, I got uh, I'm you might have to edit this out, but I got my ass handed to me. Oh, no, that's fair. Yeah. I got my ass handed to me because they're like, you don't know how to write. And I'm like, what are you talking right. about? I've, I've always been told I know how to write and I didn't know how to write like an academic. Right. And I, I mean, the way that I learned how to write for that was grueling, but then having to try to unlearn when I got into like, I mean, I'll say the corporate world or any, right. any type of agency, like that type of, like I couldn't, everything was so formal. There was a million, like, therefore comma that, I mean, there are so right. many, like, you know, prove I need the data. I need this. And right, they're like, right. what are you talking? Just write. So right. I always think it's funny as like, we go on in our careers, it's like, people are so focused on learning. And I, I sometimes pause and say like, well, what do I need to unlearn at this point? You know, people will be like, what's not serving me? I'm like, sure, you can say that. But really, what do I have to unlearn? And as I've, you know, left corporate and started doing my own work, there was a lot of things that I, you know, had to unlearn from that, too. So Mm. it's 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 interesting as it made me more creative. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things that I wonder about is in teaching experience design, because I'm teaching a new class that I created called Design Experiences. (laughs) And, you know, it's what I love about the field of experience design is that it is so multidisciplinary, mm-hmm. interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary. There's a lot of different stuff going on, which is the excitement of it. And I don't know if you feel that way, but for me, it's like yeah. the excitement of it at the same time, as with most occupations, there is a process of professionalization in which things become codified, standardized, regimented, and become kind of the, the, 
everyone who, and anybody who does this needs to be able to do these things. Yep. So it becomes reductive, right? And we're not yep. there yet in experience design, but I've seen it in user experience, for instance. Yep. You know, so I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, so then how, you know, for us as experienced designers, are you doing your work in experience design? It's, you know, how do we maintain this, the magic of what it is that we're doing mm-hmm. while at the same time, the, work becomes professionalized through academic programs, through training programs, through the orthodoxy of certain approaches, right? Yeah. That, that codifies it in a way that becomes almost restrictive in terms of this great possibility. Yeah. De- de- it, by defining it, it becomes restrictive. Exactly is, right. You know, it's, 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 I am actually really excited at this point where we're at because mm. it is a little bit like choose your own adventure type of work. Part of it is hard because people are like, what do you do? You're what? They're like, oh, you're a party planner. I'm like, I am not a party planner. <laughs> can you can you plan my uh, bar mitzvah? Because, yes. you know, I got a, you know, we got a... 40th wedding anniversary coming up and we, what kind of uh, plates? Cause we yes. got to go get, go get plates and uh, cupcakes. Oh my God. I know what kind of napkin would you ever get to about linens? I was like, no, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love linens, but I'm not right. going to be the person that I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll find you a person to, right. to get to your linens. I'm sure there are art school graduates who would be very happy to get a job with linens, but yes. that's, that's not your. Yes. That's your not gig. mine. But if I met someone that was incredible with linens, I mean, I would, put them in, on my team so fast. I'm like, you right. are, you know, that's because it's, they're artists too. So, right. uh, but after that segue, um, I think there is this kind of exciting point where at least where I'm at in, in my career and in this kind of journey of, of experience design, where it is part kind of choose your own adventure. Um, you know, I'm finalizing my formal um, company website, company name, which is not ready to be quite discussed yet, but it's very exciting. And the people that I'm working with um, are actually helping me find the language to talk about what I do because there is no language. There's, there is nothing set. So it, that is super exciting. I'm also have been connecting with some people like finding just like I'll, I'll meet one person and that person will know another, somebody else that's like working in this field. So it's this kind of rare, this rarity that you, you find different people like, you know, getting connected with you and being like, Oh, we speak the same language. And then being like, I see you. I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. And it's, it's exciting. I think, you know, part of the restrictions that will come and part of like the defining in the academia. And then also the, I'm waiting for this, a job title to be posted for it. And then, you know, we've really hit like it's, it's there, but there's validity to it. So it's not so esoteric and people are like, what are you, what, who are you? What do you do? There's actually some validation behind the work that we do, which right now doesn't seem like there, there is, I'm almost like you have to, experience it in order to to truly understand um and um you know one of the the words that i will that i will use and that lands right now is and you know an events consultant and it's something that i'm like it's almost like a a stepstone into be like yes this i am this but this is my methodology 
Right. This is what I do. This is my process. This is my alchemy and magic. So, right. you know, and it's, it's not a fit for everybody. Everybody's like, oh, I want to go with a traditional agency. I'm like, great. That is not me because I think traditional agency models are totally broken. So hmm. I'm like, come on is more of a, a thought partner and, and also very much overseeing execution of details to the like micro minutia. But um, it's something it, it's something kind of new and exciting. So, yeah, I, I'm waiting for that kind of like things, things to tip onto the, to the other side and to see what happens. Right. right. Yeah. It, it's when I was I'm teaching this first time I'm teaching this design experiences class. And I think, you know, most of the reason why students signed up for it is because it just fit their schedule. Um, <laughs> but they had like, no, I mean, they're not majors in this. They're just kind of like, but it was funny because I teach at a university that is basically 70% male. Hmm. and the class is 80% female. Really? Yeah. And, and we were talking about, I was talking about this idea of elevating experience ecosystems that, a, you know, that a thing is more than just that thing. It's also mm -hmm. like what people are, are using it for and experience it through. So we got into like an hour and 15 minute conversation about nail salons and wow, it was unreal because I don't know anything about nail salons, but someone was talking about like, well, what if we redesigned the nail salon experience? So then yes. we were like, what, okay, what are the larger sets of experiences in the nail salon? Mm -hmm. And so we started talking about bonding with family members, um, self-care work, mm -hmm. uh, therapy in the nails, mm -hmm. you know, as getting your nails done as therapy, getting your nails done as getting ready for a big event. Mm -hmm. your, so now they were thinking about, wow, the nail salon is really this much bigger it experience space that one could stage a different kind of experience based on why people are going there. Yeah. And it was just a lot of fun to see like their heads explode and going, Oh, right. And I said, guess what? Yeah. Folks? None of your answers here are wrong, but every, every lens or framework you put on this is going to create new possibilities, new potentials, new opportunities, because you're no longer just designing to provide a product or service. You're designed to, providing experience. Yes. That's amazing. Oh, it's fun. And Is I your class virtual? I feel like I want to take this class. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a story for that, but it, I learned more about nail salons than I ever would have known. <laughs> and I was, and they had some amazing ideas. Now the five guys in the classroom are going, you know, yeah. what? Well, they need what? a field trip. They need well, to go to a nail salon and, and do some research. Well, yeah. well, you know, exactly right. And then, you know, the, but then we came up with ancillary uh, experiences when a partner is at a nail salon. Like what yeah. if we had a hair place next door? What if we had mm -hmm. a sports bar next door? I was what about if we, to say sports bar. Or yeah. a backgammon shop or something. Oh, let's right? have a backgammon. Yes. I would love that. You can't play backgammon while getting your nails done because you do have to no. move the pieces. Yes. Well, yeah, that's true because you can't roll and pick that up. But... Right. But you could while you're letting your toes dry. That's true. That's true. That the, the toes part is like something that is, is a is a black box for me because I don't like seeing yeah. anybody's feet, especially like when I'm on an airplane. <laughs> oh um, God, that's so nasty. It just feels like uh, that, that there should be a law against that. One of the things I'd be curious in your class is if you ever talk about restaurants because that was one of restaurants. One of the reasons I started Tech Table, which was the other company. Um, was because I mean I I worked in restaurants forever, but I thought I think restaurants are some of like the best experience spaces in the world. Yep, and it was so 
uh, wild to see kind of in the, you know, early, I think, what are the early 10s? Is that what we're calling now? 2012, 2013, this kind of rise of these uh, tech solutions, air quotes, um, that were really just focused on consumers and like what it was actually doing to the restaurant, the ecosystem of the restaurant and this like kind of human experience that people have there. So, you know, I was like, why are you not leading these conversations? You meaning like the restaurant operators, the hospitality operators, like, why aren't you saying this is what we need tech? Like, you come in and create based on what we need front of house and back of house and to have a totally different experience that that is, you know, focused on not just the consumer, but actually the, you know, the uh, ecosystem that these solutions are supposed to be supporting the business that's supposed to be sorting, not just right tearing it down. It was, int- I actually, I was, I was at, I was speaking at an event, uh, a customer experience event in Boston. It was located at the city winery in Boston and the, mm-hmm. the owner and the creator of the city winery concept was there. Oh, nice. And I got, to, I got the chance to talk to him a little bit and I got his book and his, his, his background was like at CBGB's in New York city, <gasps> That's you know, amazing. producing, you know, like music shows, underground mm-hmm. music shows and things like that. And so this intersectional space, going back to your point about the experience was he wanted a certain vibe of a place where music could be heard. That was an intimate venue. That was like what he yeah. would do when he was a teenager, 20 something person in the 1980s, you know, going wow. around New York and just finding spaces. Yeah. Right? And so he was, you know, we were, ta- I used to work in restaurants. And so we were mm-hmm. kind of breaking down the experience elements. And what was the mm-hmm. great thing about what you referenced is the, you know, the details of the linens, right? Mm-hmm. The detail, all these things that people may never recognize or remember, but mm-hmm. yet become essential to the whole entire staging of it. Yep. Yep. Uh, now, and I feel like even more and more, there's more attention paid on restaurant design than there was. I mean, maybe I was just too young to see it, but I feel like there is such beautifully designed spaces and something that I also have been like a big uh, proponent for. I'm, I'm laughing because I'm like, maybe it's just my age, but um, is not just because, right, they're talking about what you see and what you smell and what right. you taste, but also what you hear. And right. s- not like some of these restaurants, like it's it's fascinating to me how loud they can be. Right. And it's it's just something that also like that also comes into play of like if you talk to different restaurant restaurant tours as they're designing these spaces, they are making them. Um, you know, putting in different types of sound proofing, if you will, or sound absorbing. My, right. my favorite restaurant uh, in New York is actually in Brooklyn. It's called the Four Horsemen. And it's the guy that uh, founded it was from LCD Sound System. So one of the wow. big main components of it is they have this very cool, like sound absorbing huh. um walls like the walls whatever the structures that they put up is to reduce kind of that bouncing of sounds because he's a musician so he to him that was super important and i don't know the food isn't the whole the food is incredible the wine is incredible and also you can just like go in there and you're just like it's there's something very soothing about it so yeah it's interesting it is and you know that 
servers as experienced designers, right? Yeah. Because the idea of, you know, how much, you know, your take home is often based on your tips and you got mm-hmm. to deliver an experience. And there was a really great book I read called Waiting, which was mm-hmm. basically a, a, an ethnography by a waitress, by a mm-hmm. server about the nature of this profession. And yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I'm fascinated by studying professions is that it allows you into people's worlds and how they construct and create experiences mm-hmm. in and through their work. Yeah. And being a server is just, you know, the yeah. front lines of, of that kind of activity because you're dealing with all kinds of people at different times of the day. And you have to do what Arlie Hochschild calls like this emotional labor, right? Yeah of engagement yeah. to create this and the choreography, right. Mm-hmm. You know, the movement in space and the synchrony that's both separate, but coordinated at the yeah. same time, because everyone has to be moving together, but not, it's not produced as one, but it has to work in concert. If that makes sense. It makes totally. sense. Totally. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like that, that, that the floor, the, the front of house, if you will, the restaurant floor is, is its own stage, its own circus. You know, right. you've got you've got a million different things happening at a million different times, and one person that's pr- providing a quote unquote service or experience to could be upwards of eight different groups of people, all on their own rhythm, all with right. different you know needs. Especially nowadays with everybody's allergies and whatnot and customization, it's it's wild. Um, and then them memorizing everything, all the specials and and, right. and whatnot. So, yeah. Do you remember the first restaurant that you went to that made you go, wow? Do you have? That made me go, wow. Yeah. Or we're uh, like, whoa, this is. In a, in a horrified way. In a uh, horrified way? Yeah. 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 And Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese has like. Did you see the the mouse the the meme going around about Chuck E. Cheese? No, <laughs> it's like these horrible animatronic things that don't look comforting at all, and and yeah. the story of who Chuck E. Cheese is is actually very disturbing. Like the backstory of Chuck E. Cheese. Really? Yeah. So the backstory of the character Chuck E. Cheese is that Chuck E. Cheese um, was an orphan. And because he had no family, he never had a birthday party. So he grew up never having a birthday party. So when he got older, he decided that he didn't want any kids never to know the joys of having a birthday party. So he decided he was going to create a place where children, any child could come in and have a birthday party. Well, that's kind of amazing, though. I, I'm just thinking about this. Like, you know, Part of it's kind of creepy. So it's like this. This, this single guy named Chucky is just kind of running around having events for like these kids to come visit him. I'm like, that's a little strange being a parent, but also. Okay. Just, that's fair. That is fair. And the know, fact but, that he chose a rat as his mascot for a. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. and he's like, you know, he's an orphan and, you know, so, and then they got the weird animatronic things yes. and, you know, it's just in the floor sticky all the time. I mean, it's just like a lot going on, but you know, and it's kind of overwhelming, right? Because it goes back to the sound, the noise, yes, the chaos. It's, yeah, you know, it it's, reminds me of like Disney. People are like, isn't da- isn't Disney a land of wonder and amazement? I'm like, not if you're a parent trying to avoid spending five thousand dollars on a visit. It's a land of absolute pure hell. I mean, you know, so it does depend on your your perspective to the experience you're designing and for whom it's designed for. But yes. as a parent, I know this is not designed for me. Yeah. It's designed for my kids who at some point mm-hmm. are going to melt down. And that's what Disney should hand out. Some point your kid's going to melt down. 
don't worry. Mm-hmm. It'll be the good memories they carry with them forever. I would need that. I needed that primer <laughs> when I went to Disney. They also should have different areas for like meltdowns. I mean, maybe they do. I haven't been in forever, but like if you, if I took, if we took a fine tooth comb to that, to, to Disney, we'll just even start like Disney world and like really mapped it out. And to be like, where, where are the places for like a, a moment of rest or for if your kid's having a meltdown or if you need like a second, like where, where are any of those? I feel like it's just sensory overload, which well, it's funny you say that because I have a, I have a child who's on the spectrum. And mm-hmm. so this becomes a very real issue. Yeah. And, and so Disney does a pretty good job, I would say for, for parents who have kids with disabilities. That's amazing. About, you know, it is. And here's the horrifying part of it, that because if you have a child with a disability that you can go in and you can get like a special band that allows you to kind of skip lines and all these, you know, other things. And so there was an underground market where parents who had children with disabilities would kind of rent out their children to other families. Oh, my so God. They could take advantage of the perks. Oh of having a child with a disability it was it didn't happen a lot but there were some stories and so disney was like no you, you know there needs to be like some kind of proof that it's your child yeah <laughs> that's wild uh, i mean i shouldn't be surprised because these days but wow when you're designing you know, we're talking about the synchronicity of folks do you yeah, consider- moving from disneyland Moving yeah, off. yeah. Well, do you and Disney is kind of like this, but do you consider like an experienced designer becoming almost like the conductor of the orchestra? That's what people call me. <laughs> it's Does pretty amazing. So yeah. Would be yes. Okay. Yes, <laughs> a conductor and sometimes uh, a bit of a composer too. Interesting. Right. Yeah. In, in what way c- composing? Um, because I am. I'm also cre- creating these different experiences. Like there could right. be numerous different, I'll call them like my, lack of a better word, like micro experiences happening okay. at the same time right. or thinking through, um, you, you kind of break down each experience or each event into different parts and each part I pay attention to. So it could be anything like, here's the, here's the easiest one is like arrivals and registration. Right. That's the that's like the first point. The, the first first point is like the invitation or the announcement or whatever that is. But then the minute that people walk in, you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what kind of mindset that they're in. You don't know what kind of day they're having. You don't know if they've been here before or not. We'll say, and from from my experiences, I want them to feel welcome, right. and I want them to feel like a sense of like joy, like we're we're we we my team or whoever's there is like genuinely happy for them to be, to be there. And we want them to have like a sense of ease. Like they, they're not coming into something to do more work. They're coming in to be like taken care of in a sense. So there's like a hospitality angle that I do, but so each piece of that is, is built and it's designed. And then the overall experience is also like a conductor, especially when there's things on stage. Um, If there's like conferences, cause I, I love to do conferences. It's kind of my, my specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of staging stage experience really does feel like a, like a conductor kind of a moment. 
that yeah, when you said conferences are your specialty, it was a little triggering because I think about academic conferences. Yeah. And just how bad they are. I mean, they're yeah. just abysmally abysmally bad in yeah. terms of everything almost it feels like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just not like real connected. Although I will say I went to the seven experiences summit that just happened at Provo at BYU. Oh, how was that? Amazing. They did really because the last day, I mean, the, the folks at BYU are fantastic, but the last day, the Saturday, there was an option for an experiences. Um, there were experiences one could have. So I went with a bunch of people um, repelling in part of Utah. That's amazing. So they built in, you know, in the experience, research the the group is the experience research society seven experiences summit and they just did such a tremendous job of balancing keynotes with um sessions with mm-hmm. workshops with social time mm-hmm. and all of them making it feel very connected and very integrated and very warm yes and, and just fun and memorable and it just yeah. did an amazing job versus That's- the american sociological association meeting which was oh just really bad mm-hmm just really bad. How many people are, is it like a 5,000, 2,000, 10,000 person summit? Like, or no, it was, it was probably that? a couple hundred. No, the, the sociology, oh, sociology one? one. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, thousands. Yeah. That's, you know. Yeah. But you, you can know, still, there's still room. I mean, well, the book, like they take the book, the book exhibit, right? The book exhibit yeah. is always the same and mm-hmm. it's always these forlorn looking booksellers and all these books that you're like, I, you know, am I going to get the book? How much the book cost? Can I do I have room in my luggage? You yep. know, and it's just like the same kind of thing. And it, I felt kind of bad because I met some students who were their first, their first session, their first conference, and they were very excited. And I was trying not to ruin that. Yeah. <laughs> because Fantastic. this is like my 30th, right? Yeah. And it's like, how do we, how do we, and one thing you said before when we talked, using the barriers as an opportunity for creativity. Oh, constraints. Yes. Yeah, constraints, I'm sorry. Constraints yeah. as an opportunity for creativity. How then might we take the pain, most painful part of the American Sociological Association, which is both the book exhibit, I think, and also the sessions, which yeah. are just too rushed, too brief, you know, not connected talks, reading off of PowerPoints. Like, what do we do? Because this is a people, people can't afford to go to conferences anymore. Mm-hmm. And the attendance to these conferences, which is the major lifeline of these professional associations yeah. is just plummeting because it's not a good experience. Yeah. No. Well, they, one should hire me. Well, <laughs> so there's that. One, there you go. Yeah. I think it's interesting. The two things that you um, identified are two things that I'm like, oh, that's exciting. How do we rethink that? Like, how do we rethink it? I mean, you say a book exhibit and I'm like, amazing. Like, I, I feel like it's set up for you like more of a trade show kind of setup. I don't, I don't know. But I could imagine this like, what if you walked into this room and it was like a, a, a reimagined library. Like maybe it's an old school den looking oh, like nice. a library and there's ladders that you can like. Interesting. Climb up, grab different books, take them, sit down. Is there a coffee bar there that you can sit and check out these books? Could you have them shipped to you? Would you pay $4 more to have them shipped for, to you? Right. So things like that. Sessions. I am a big believer in like scratch everything that they're doing and right. bring in some like fresh ideas fresh people. Um, I love to, again, this is interesting, conductor slash composer, curator, yada, da, 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 all the C's is that I love to put people on stage that you would never 
really like things that could could go together or that you would have like possibly a little bit of tension they they right. could have some tension there um but it just it creates the most fascinating conversations it creates kind of like it, a little, it's not like anxiety for the audience, but like, oh my God, how is this going to go? Right. But I think that it's, that's where the real ideas happen. That's where things start to actually transform. So if you put the same stale people up with the same stale PowerPoints with rushed situations, right? no, you have to make it engaging. So yeah, I see that and I'm like, sweet, let's reimagine this. Well, luckily for you, there's a lot of really bad academic conferences. Yes. So once once you get your company name, you know, yes. uh, my website is, up. Yes. because I, you know, you you would you know people think about like partying the Red Sea being a miracle. Yes. That, that ain't nothing yeah. compared to making an academic conference engaging, exciting, memorable. Yes, all of those things. It's it, it's 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 a big lift, and I would I would imagine it, that being a choreographer just helps. Yes. Think that through. Yeah. Being a choreographer and also being, I say this like hand in hand because I started in choreography and then I realized that I'm like, this is amazing, but there's so many other elements that I want to pull into the work. So that's when it was like, can I bring in someone that's a vocalist? Can I bring in a musician? Can I bring in someone with, at the time, it was spoken word poetry. So can I bring someone in and like craft a whole different piece? pieces something that could be 25 15 to 25 minutes long but isn't just kind of standard and i think i mean yes i think approaching it in that same way like it's 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 not necessarily people a lot of people like the biggest thing why i'm pausing about is because like we talked touched on constraints and the number one constraint that everybody will say is we don't have the budget right and i'm like well one of the things that i again, that I, I am an advocate for is creativity. And like, that does not necessarily mean you break the bank. It's right. thinking about things in a different way and tapping into things in a different way. Um, and being open. I think the biggest constraint that I would have was something like an uh, uh, academic um, association that you're referencing is their willingness to change. Right. So they have to be willing to to change and they have to be willing to be like, we want to do something new. We want this conference to go on for the next 10 years. And this is not the way to do it. We want gonna, it to grow. Not I was going to, I was going to ask you about that because being a futurist or future oriented mm -hmm. thinker, who's highly creative, um, how often or how do you, and how do you handle when your creativity and your future oriented thinking outpaces people's abilities to see it, right? To go back to yeah, something, like seeing it, see to, it. To, to, to envision it. And then yeah. is it a matter of trying to bring them forward to trust you, or is it a matter of scaling back to fit their vision or how yeah. do you balance those things together? Um, that's a great question. It depends on um, who I'm working with. Um, and it, de it depends, like it, it can actually be both because they're kind of two different levers. Mm -hmm. So there could be certain elements that I'll be like, yep, yeah, I need you to trust me on, the, on this a little bit. because we're going to like, you know, dial this up or move right. this, move this forward. And I'm going to hold your hand as best I can. Right. Um, and on other things, I, I, 
pull back and I'm like, okay, we're not going to advance everything. We're not going to push everything forward in, in a way that you can't visualize or that you doesn't make you feel like confident. Um, but I try to do enough so that I can prove like they need proof. Right. So once they experience it, they're like, oh, I, I get it now. You can dial up some of these other other elements. Right. So hopefully there is a, a next year. You know, a, a lot of what my work is, um, is, you know, right now is, is project based work. And I think that, you know, as I'm, you know, I've, I've been doing this now. I mean, I'm doing this for many, many years, but this work on my own has really only been two years and it started okay. in the pandemic. So well, that's I a was, tough one. yeah, that's, 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 that's a tough time. It's a <laughs> tough time. So I was doing tech table before that and I was doing, you know, some freelance work, but really me being like, okay, I'm going to take everything I've learned and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm starting this company and I really believe in the work that I do. It's, I'm still in like, you know, kind of project-based work and establishing relationships with people and not even just the relationships, it's establishing trust. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a dance, but. Well, you're a dancer. Yes. There we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a good thing. <laughs> so it's a good thing. It's a little bit of a dance because yeah. if, if someone was well suited to engage in that challenge, it would be, be you. Me. If, if, be if it was a little bit of a dance with me, I would just be yeah. at the arcade fire, just kind of just swinging yes. back and forth, back and forth. in the air. Yes. And the client would be not in as capable hands as <laughs> they are with you who could actually do dance. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's a good so, thing. Yes. So when, 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 when's the launch happening? Um, it's looking like early January. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's getting closer. I mean, the, the, you know, company name that I, I have, I haven't, you know, an LLC right. that I, I did start the, the Badson group, um, that, you know, my hope is that it's, it, it still remains as like the umbrella organization all, and I'll keep kind of creating different, um, different kind of companies or vehicles to, to, do my work as it changes underneath that. So, but this one I'm, I'm excited about. It's really, it's rooted in, it is an, ex, I call it, it's an, ex, you know, we are an experience design company and really putting that out there and using that and not dumbing it down to say like, yeah, I'm, you know, an, an events director or I'm right. this, I'm like, no, this is what I do. And this is what it means. And this is what it looks like. Um, I know part of my model is really about being more of a, a collective. So right. it's having an incredible network of very talented um, people, talented vendors, artists, creatives, you know, tech technicians, technical people. Like right. there's all this incredible network that I get to tap into and partner with on different, different experiences. So it's very much kind of going back to that multidisciplinary yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. choreographer. Uh, conductor. Kind of, yes, conductor. And composer. So, and composer. <laughs> and dancer. All of it. Well, uh, that's awesome. And I'm looking forward to seeing the launch. And thanks yes. for chatting about uh, this this pathway, you know, that you've yeah. danced down. To yes, thank you. And backgammon down. Moving yes. moving all the pieces on the board to fit the right diagonals and the right yes, spots. Yes, exactly. So that you can move from one part of the board to the other part. Exactly. And eventually win. <laughs> exactly right. Especially if money's on the line. Exactly. Double down. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. This is great. Thanks so much, Gary. Okay.
We want to thank Jackie Badson for talking and taking us through her journey to experience design and how she helps clients achieve creative solutions and from where she gets her inspiration. You can learn more about Jackie's current work and current activities in our show notes. And as always, we'd love to hear from you, the EXD community. What are the most creative combinations that you've ever made in your work? What kind of disparate parts, elements, things have you pulled together in unique and interesting ways? Have you combined your own educational background to inform your design work? And if so, what kind of the pieces do you pull in order to do that? And really importantly, how would you make academic conferences less boring? Please, please shoot us a message. If, that's an if possible question. If possible. Um, so as always, please, please shoot us a message over at feedback at experiencexdesign.com or get in the conversation on our LinkedIn page. We cannot wait to hear how to make conferences less boring. Talk about a design challenge, right? Well, we also have some very big news here at Experience by Design. We just today, this day, Friday the 13th of 2023 in January, hit 10,000 downloads. We are... We are not sure what that number means, but it at least means there are people out there who enjoy our podcast and we, of course, enjoy bringing it to you. So thank you so much for the big 10K number of downloads Mm, and for making Experience by Design part of your podcasting, your podcast listening, I should say, repertoire. We look forward to the next 10,000. As always, if you're an Experience by Design company or a professional looking to increase your profile, reach out to us to talk about sponsoring an episode or even appearing on an episode. We'd love to have a conversation with you. And if you'd like to support this now 10,000 download podcast, you can do so by heading over to our website at experiencexdesign.com and using the buy us a coffee link to buy us a coffee. As always, you can share feedback at experience at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. If you want to subscribe to stay on top of all the EXD news, head over to our website enter your email and get in touch with us. And with that, thank you so much for all your support throughout the episodes. We can't wait to bring you the next 10,000 download number of episodes. And we can't wait to bring you our next episode here in Experience by Design.